John chapter 15. Uh, while you're doing that, I want to, uh, I'm excited about getting into the Word this morning, but I want to just, uh, I'm so pumped too, all the kids are here. Let the kids know that they're amazing one more time, would you? We love our, our young people. We had an incredible night Thursday night, and I... I, you know, I was so wrong. I was saying to Pastor Zach, like the day before, maybe we should cancel. It's going to rain. It's going to be a mess. You know, we're just not going to be able to do it. Um, but I want to thank you volunteers who came out Thursday night. Um, there was traffic. We had a, a mile line of cars down the road. Uh, like Natasha said earlier, there's probably 12 to 1,500 people that came through this event um, that we had on Halloween night, which is a very dark and evil holiday. And I know for some of you who don't realize the roots of Halloween, uh, going all the way back to the Druids, it's a very dark and evil holiday that's celebrated. In fact, the sales, I believe, last I checked, were even surpassing or matched that of Christmas. The sales and retail, right? So people in the world celebrate and glorify all that is about All Hallows' Eve. And they don't realize it's a very dark and evil holiday. So thank God that we could turn that around and use it for good and share the light and the love of Jesus Christ on Halloween night. I want to thank you guys that did the trunks. We had people in the parking lot the entire night, people at the cafe. You guys worked your butts off. And then we had to put this place back together. There were millions of popcorn kernels throughout the building. And I don't say that exaggerating, millions. Uh, it was kind of like carpet on the floor. I said, is that our new carpet? or is it? No, that's popcorn. Um, if you helped, either did a trunk, you helped clean, you helped set up chairs, uh, whatever, cafe, parking lot, would you stand to your feet, please, all the volunteers? Stand up, stand up, stand up. Can we thank all these amazing, amazing people? Thank you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm truly humbled and honored to be a part of an amazing team of people who would give of their night, <laughs> an exhausting night, on your feet the entire night to serve. So thank you so much. Uh, so we're going to be talking about John chapter 15 today, and we're in a series that we've been on for, this is our third week, I believe, and uh, today one service, so if you're normally here at 1030, um, you're just getting in now, which is great. If you are normally here at 8.30, um, sorry we weren't here, but in a few weeks, December the 15th, we'll be going to one service, one church, one commitment for a year. Uh, it's going to be at 10 a.m., and we're doing that very strategically to kind of bring our family back together uh, because we really feel like we need to reconnect. That's why we, we encourage you to get to know people. We don't believe God's called us to just come in and to warm a chair on Sunday and then to leave, but to be a part of a growing family, a growing fruit-bearing family. The Bible says that they'll know you're Christians by your love, by the fruit that you have, and the fruits of the Spirit start with love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We, we learn those in Ephesians. But today, I want to talk about the reality of fruitful reliance and total dependence on God. So I'm going to try to be a little shorter than normal. And that has nothing to do with my physical stature. <laughs> but we have our kids in here, so bear with me. And kids, I'm going to try to keep this relevant to you too because the Bible is relevant. Say, oh yeah. All right, so John chapter 15. Uh, what we need to understand today, guys, is that there is no way. Everybody say, no way. No way. 
to live in a relationship with God apart from total dependence on his presence. Now, the whole reason that this series is counterculture is because the statement I just said is exactly opposite of what the world teaches you. Alright? Stay with me, gang. You guys over there in the corner, I need you to like to give me the oh yeah every now and then so I know I'm on, alright? Let me hear you say oh yeah. Awesome. They're with me. Listen, the American dream, living the American dream, has taught us to be independent people. Independent people who are confident in ourselves to accomplish anything we want to accomplish if we work hard enough and put our all into it. That's what the American dream says, right? Yeah. You can be rich, you can do whatever you want as long as you, as long as you work hard enough. Yeah. Right? Self-sufficiency is praised and exalted and adored and independence is what is desired. However, the counterculture gospel says God did not intend for us to live our lives that way. That's why this is like an upside down type of message. In fact, it's impossible to live for Jesus this way. But we have become very deceived in American culture into believing that our greatest asset is our own ability. Listen, this is what the world teaches, right? Your greatest asset is your own ability to apply yourself, to work hard, to do your best. And by the way, I want to take a little commercial break and congratulate our soccer team, our, our boys Temple Academy soccer team. Uh, last night, wait, 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 I didn't tell you what they did yet. Um, I saw Isaiah, it's good to have you guys with us. They went to the semifinals last night and they did very well. They were the number five seed, played the number one seed. All they had to do was win one more game to go to the final. Uh, they lost last night, but I want you to know they left all their heart on the field. Congratulations, young man. We're proud of you guys. And uh, we congratulated our girls just a week before because they did the same thing, went to the semifinals, semifinals, right, for the girls, was it, Chloe? Quarterfinals. Won at the quarterfinals, so, uh, or lost at the quarterfinals, but did a great job. So we're proud of all of our teams there at Temple Academy. But we've become, we've become, uh, yeah, give the girls a hand. We don't want to leave them out. Thank you. The American dream prizes what people can accomplish when they believe and trust in themselves. And we're drawn towards such thinking as well in the church. And so today I want you to stay with me. The gospel has very, very different priorities. The gospel calls us to die to ourselves. That's what we're talking about in this series. Believe in God. Trust in His power, not your abilities, not your power. The gospel says, die to your flesh, Craig. Die to yourself and acknowledge and recognize your inabilities. Acknowledge your weaknesses because His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Are you with me? So this is where the gospel and the world are, bam, opposing forces. Young people, I want you guys to hear this message. Even more important is the subtle fatal goal that we will achieve when we pursue the American dream. As long as we achieve our desires in our power, we will always attribute it to our abilities. 
But here, the gospel and the American dream, again, they are clearly contrary to one another. While the, while the goal of the American dream is to make as much of us as we can, the goal of the gospel is to make as much of God as we can. That others would see our good deeds and glorify who? No, no, no. Craig, look how awesome Craig is, right? Yeah. No! They would see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Not you and me and say, oh, look how great they are. Pat me on the back. Good job. No. That's not what, right? So this is where we, we need to go to. I'm only going to give you four points. Say four points. Young people, you can write these down too. I know you have a little, a little busy bag, but you can write sermon notes on that too. Right, Miss May? I don't know where she's at, but she's probably back in the nursery. Number one, God's sovereignty purposes our lives to bear fruit for Him by abiding in Christ. We're going to look at John 15 today, and we're going to just dissect it one by one verse at a time. So Jesus stated that God is in control of tending to the vine. Look at verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he does what? Takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? Prunes. That it may do what? Bear more fruit. I hope that you're in this place today and, and, and open to saying, okay God, prune me. How many of you like that when you get pruned? <laughs> Ouch. It hurts, but it's a good hurt. It's a good hurt. Let's take a minute and pray, can we? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Word of God. And I pray today that our, our minds would receive, our hearts would receive, we would not just hear with our ears, but we would receive in our hearts the truth of the Word of God today that would literally transform us from the inside out. So Holy Spirit, have your way today through the preaching of the Word of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God ensures that branches are either producing fruit by removing dead branches or the dying parts of the branches. If you know anything about pruning, Sarah, you're good at this. She takes care of, you know, she's a horticulturist. Um, you've got to, I've got this plant at home that every year I think I'm going to kill this sucker because it just is going crazy right in front of our bedroom window. And it gets bigger and bigger and I just keep chopping that thing down as much as I can and it keeps coming back healthier and healthier. Does anybody else have that problem? <laughs> Yeah, so that's what happens, Liz. You, you prune off all the dead and you try to clip this thing away and it gets healthier. And you know that we need to go through the same thing, a pruning, and God's purposes for us is that our lives would bear fruit for Him, but we only bear fruit as we abide in Christ. And we're going to hopefully get a clearer picture of what that means to abide in Christ. I'll tell you a quick story in this, this book we read and, and like I said, th this book we, um, I don't think they're available today at the information desk but next week we've ordered some of these books that I encourage you to pick up and you can read them. But the author tells a story about a, a young man, his name was Raiden and he was a seminary graduate in Indonesia. Indonesia is the largest Muslim population in the world and this guy Raiden uh, had been a mixed martial arts expert and he was into jujitsu and grappling and he was a fighter and he was had become a born-again believer and he was part of a church planting movement in Indonesia 
and he planted churches. And he was in this one particular community where they had just planted a church and it was a growing area and the witch doctor of that community came and knocked on his door. This is a true story. Knock, knock, knock. He said, I'd like you to come outside and deal with me. This is the witch doctor and if you know anything about cultures and communities like this, witch doctors hold a lot of power and they actually do very demonic and evil things with their powers. So he invited Raiden, this born-again believer, former UFC welterweight, not really UFC, but he was, a, he was a grappler and a fighter. He said, why don't you come outside and meet with me? And Raiden's like, oh man, bring it on. I'm going to mess up the witch doctor. He's going to mess him up, right? So just before he walked out the door, he felt the Lord say to him, Raiden, you don't fight your battles anymore. I fight your battles. So Raiden walked outside, right into the center of this community, pulls up a chair, sits it down in front of the witch doctor, and he said, my God told me I don't fight my battles anymore. And he sat in the chair. Before the witch doctor could get two words out of his mouth, he began gasping for air. And he grabbed his throat, and he fell dead on the ground right in the middle of this town. True story. That's the power of God alive in people. So this guy said, I don't fight my battles. God fights my battles. The problem with us is we tend to want to fight our own battles, don't we? We don't have to fight our own battles. God will fight your battles for you. I love some of those worship songs that remind us that God will do our fighting for us. Number two, abiding in Christ is our only way. Everybody say only way. To a fruitful life. Abiding in Him. Jesus emphasized branches can only bear fruit in John chapter 15 by being a part of the vine. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. I've got that underlined in my Bible, highlighted, circle it, mark it, star, check, whatever you've got to do. Acknowledge and recognize, apart from God, I can do no thing. Not anything. I can't get clean and clear of my addiction. I cannot overcome it on my own power, on my own ability, on my own 5, 10, 12 steps. I can do what, guys? Nothing apart from Him. Can you all say that one more time? I can do what? Nothing apart from Him. But through Him and in Him, we discover that all things are possible. He breaks chains. He breaks shackles. He breaks addictions. He sets people free. And he still does that today. Jesus said that his followers could do nothing without him. Again, what do we see here in the scripture? This is, this again proves a direct contradiction between the American dream, and this is what we're talking about in this series, where God actually delights in exalting our inabilities. Right? But we don't do that in America. Right? We don't pull a chair up to the interview at the boss and say, hey, you know, here I am. 
And I'm really, I, I really, just to be honest with you, I don't really know why you should hire me because I'm lousy without God. I can do nothing, right? You know, we, we don't do that. Um, but there is a confidence that's found in Christ by recognizing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as I abide in him, the beauty of this whole, in practical words, guys, the beauty of this, as we're abiding in Christ, we do become better employees. Right? We do become better husbands and better wives and better partners in the community as we're abiding in Christ. But here again, the church is not an institution. It's a living organism. We are a part of Jesus. And as we are a part of him and abiding in him, God can do amazing things through his bride, through you and I, the church. But when we just go through the motions of, of doing church, putting in time, going through the, the religious steps that we go through, apart from abiding in Christ, we can do nothing. Yeah. And this is the problem with the church for generations, is that the, the impact that the church has had in the world is virtually nil, non-existent. Why? Why is that? Because we've slipped into this going through the motions and we haven't focused on abiding in Christ. As we abide in Him, we can't help but let the world see that. Right? I had a great conversation with a couple this week who was talking about how God has absolutely, over in the last year, completely transformed her life. She's a new person. She said, Pastor, I can't tell you the, 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 the yoke of religious bondage that I have been under for years. Religious bondage, I said. Not, not even, un, you know, totally evil looking things, but religious things like, you know, legalism, like rules, like all of this nonsense. She said, when the Spirit of God comes in, it's like a freedom. And I feel this weight that's been lifted off of me. And these were her words, I want to shout it from the mountains. I want the world to know. Right? And I hope you'll hear her testimony personally from her very soon. But this is what happens when we learn to abide in Christ and when we receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit into us, it changes our being. It changes our lifestyle. It changes, like we said last week, our behaviors and our actions, the things that we desire and are hungry for. As you come to a place where you are empty of yourself, where you say, I can't, so God, I completely surrender to you and I connect with him and I abide in him. He's the one that changes your life. I want to tell you young people, remember kids Jericho and Joshua? Remember the fortified walls of Jericho? Anybody remember that story in Joshua? Well, the walls were strong. The walls were big. It was a fortified city. And Joshua's kind of trying to put a plan of action together. How are we going to take down the city of Jericho? And then God shows up on the scene and he gives them a plan of action. Remember the plan of action? You guys remember the plan? God says, listen, I want you to get all your men. I want you to get, uh, I, I meant to bring my ram's horn up here. I forgot that. But get your ram's horn and you go and blow and you march around the city for six days one time. Well, that's a great plan, God, sure. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine what Joshua was thinking. But then in chapter 5, he goes on to say, and on the seventh day, I want you to march around six times and then I want you to blow 
the horn. And on that last blow, it's going to be a long blow. And then I want you all to shout as loud as you can. And what happened, kids? Does anybody remember? Come on, young people. What happened to the walls? Gina, you're not a kid. Quiet down. I know you're all excited, but you said it right there. The walls came down, right? The walls came crumbling down. Really? Yes, really. Now, that, I got to imagine that Joshua was kind of thinking, man, I don't know that that's a, that sounds like a little bit of a, I don't know. Doesn't make sense. But they defeated an entire army when they did it God's way. And abiding in Christ, number two, abiding in Christ is the only way. Listening to Christ, following Christ, obeying the words of God. And when Joshua gave, when God gave Joshua that word, he trusted it and he obeyed. There's been times in your life, and Sean alluded to it this morning during worship, that God's given you a word. You haven't seen it come to pass yet. That doesn't mean it's not going to. You continue to stay there. You continue to wait. You continue to press in and say, God, you spoke and I believe it. And I'm going to act on that and I'm going to trust that in time it's going to come. The victory's going to come. That's what Joshua did. And he saw God do an amazing thing. The only way to have a fruitful life. The only way to have that kind of power, the only way to have that kind of success in your life is by abiding in Jesus. Again, that doesn't make sense to the world, right? Number three, abiding in Christ is evidenced by spiritual fruitfulness which glorifies God. And I talked about this a little bit at the beginning. I did read uh, verses... 3 and 4, didn't I? Okay, now we're going to be reading verses 6 through 8. I read 3 through 5, right? I don't want to miss the word. Help me. Did I read that already? Okay. It's the most important thing, guys. Let's not miss it, right? So, in verses 6 through 8 here, um, Jesus clearly stated that a, a false follower would be thrown out because of lack of fruit. Now listen, this should... Get your attention. If you and I are not bearing fruit, Jesus says what? Let's look. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the what? And they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove. Remember we're talking about the cost of followership. So prove to be my disciple. Because there are many rustling leaves on dead branches, right? They make a lot of noise but they don't bear any fruit. Make a lot of noise but no fruit. Bible says if you don't bear fruit, you're pruned, thrown away into the fire. So abiding in Christ should align us as his followers. We're, we're, this whole series, again, is, is really talking about the reality of being a follower of Jesus. Not just a Christian who says, oh yeah, I was saved. Now I know that I said some things last week and people are, are questioning some of our, um, the, the doctrine and theology on um, salvation. And, and we'll, we'll cover that another day, probably not today. 
Um, but uh, I made some kind of comment where someone was, there became some debates over once saved, always saved. And, and what I said, and I, I want to clarify this just briefly here, is that your salvation is something that the Bible says each man must work out with fear and trembling. Uh, and that when you say a prayer and you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, I believe that you're saved and born again. But now the process just started. It just began. And, and, and it doesn't mean that you have to get saved every day when you wake up, but every day when you wake up, you have to make a choice. Is Jesus my Lord or is he my Savior? And there's a big difference between lordship and savior. In fact, in the New Testament, the, the vast difference is about, um, I believe it's about 4,500 times where Jesus is referred to as savior versus Lord. 4,500 times more as my Lord. And that's lordship, that's another whole message, but lordship is what we're going after here. And this is where... Again, I think the big problem is in the church. A lot of people got saved. They said a sinner's prayer 20 years ago and then, they, then nothing changed in their life. Oh, I got saved. I said a prayer. I'm all good to go, right? Check off that box. I'm going to heaven. Good for me. Right? Again, I know this is another whole can of worms I'm opening up here. We'll get into this conversation maybe another time or discuss it in your small groups. That's a great place for that as well. I will preach again on that when we get back into that a little bit more. But this is, we're talking about being a follower of Jesus. A disciple means you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Let's just take a quick snippet back. When, when, the, when Jesus told the fishermen, his disciples, to come and follow me, it cost them everything. He said, hey, throw your nets away. You're not being a fisherman anymore. You're going to follow me and we're going to fish for men. And it cost them everything. They walked away from everything. We're talking about in this series the true cost of being a follower of Jesus. So let's jump back to today's sermon. Verses 6 through 8 here. That you bear much fruit and so you prove to be my disciple. Jesus pointed out evidence of discipleship which is fruitfulness that glorifies God. Fruitfulness that glorifies God. Not you and I. Uh, the story of George Mueller, I don't know if any of you remember him, but he cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. You can read the story about George Mueller. He opened up an orphanage. He was in, uh, in England, I believe, is where this started. Uh, and he basically, throughout his, his whole ministry career, he was a full-time pastor, but he opened up an orphanage to take care of orphaned children. But this is what he said when that was all done and towards the end of his lifetime. He said, I didn't open the orphanage to take care of the children. He said, I know, that sounds a little odd, like, huh. He said, I opened the orphanage to prove to the world that God can be glorified, not man, because he never went to raise one penny for the orphanage. He never asked for one donation for the orphanage. He never went to the church and took one offering for the orphanage. He said, God, if this is what you're calling me to do, then you will have to provide for the orphanage. And God provided every single thing that was needed to take care of 10,000 children. Can you imagine the undertaking? God did that. 
And so he wanted the world to know it wasn't a man that did this. I did nothing for it other than obey what God told me to do. And God took care of it. That's an awesome testimony. And you may say, well, pastor, you know, things were different in the early 1900s. And the, well, it's the same God then as he is now, right? Do you trust God that way? Through ordinary people. This guy was no, nothing special. George Mueller was an ordinary guy. That God can do and does do supernatural through ordinary people who will just put their trust in Christ. I'm encouraged by that. Number four today. Abiding in Christ produces joy in our lives. John chapter 15 verses 9 through 11. Let's put that up there on the screen. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will... And I hope you have your Bible with you or your phone or whatever. Don't just look at the words up there on the screen. You need to... These need to be here so you can take them here. Underline this stuff. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. Jesus basically is very simply stating here that abiding in Him results in His joy being given to you, His followers. There's nothing worse <laughs> than a beat up, downtrodden, always defeated Christian walking around, oh, I'm serving Jesus, praise God, but my life sure does stink. I got no joy. And things are really lousy. It doesn't mean that you can't go through difficult times and recognize, you know, life is really painful right now. And it hurts. And it's hard. But I've got the joy of Christ knowing inside my heart that, that He's, he's going to get me through this. And, and my circumstances may not change tomorrow, but my trust is in God. My hope is in God. And therefore, my joy is complete because it's not, it's not external or temporary things that make me have joy inside. There's a difference between happiness and inner joy, okay? My joy that is complete is through my abiding in Christ, knowing that God is in control of everything in my life. He's in control of all that I go through. He's in control of my journey from start to finish. And I have joy in knowing. And that my, my joy is complete in knowing that. I want to wrap up with a little bit of a discussion about the amazing love of our Heavenly Father. One of the things as a parent that I love to do is I love to be able to give my kids good gifts, right? They don't have to be expensive things, but I love to be able to provide for my kids, don't you? And, and many of us I know say, well, I want my kids to have it better than I had it growing up. And there's, there's no greater joy for a parent than being able to... Now, kids, don't you go home and extort your parents tonight, okay? Because of this. But there's no greater joy for a parent than to be able to bless your children with good gifts, right? Right? Well, God, in John chapter, or Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew, I want to talk about that for a minute. God gives his children so much more of his provisions than we could ever imagine giving our kids. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. Now, stay focused here. I'm wrapping up. 
like I told you, I was going to try to be a little more brief today because of our kids. But this is what Luke chapter 11 says. You can look in your Bibles. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? And I don't, I don't even have this up on the screen, so you can just blank that screen out for me, guys. Uh, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how, this is the sinful man, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now stay with me here on this. It's really important to get this. In this context, Jesus is teaching on a prayer. On prayer. And he's saying that when we pray for the Father's provisions we'll find that his provision is good when we pray and seek the Lord. He's saying when we pray for a father's provision, and, and the more he provides for us, the more we trust him, right? The more we trust him as our father. He is our heavenly father. He's our provider. Trusting in God. But the last part of this passage is where many people get a little confused. Now, if you look over at uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes a similar statement. I'm going to read that for you. He says this. If you then, though you are evil, again, talking about humanity and our carnal nature, you're, you're not God, but you know how to give good, good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who asks him? So there's, if you notice at the end, and we know the Gospels basically are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's understanding and their dis, uh, depiction of what, what happened. So Ma uh, Matthew and Luke say things a little bit differently. At the end, this is what Luke says. Our Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to us when we ask. And in Matthew chapter 7 it says, Our Father will give good gifts to us when we ask Him. Stay with me here because I want you to get this. Now Matthew's version in my carnal understanding makes a little more sense to me. When we pray, God gives us good gifts just as a Heavenly Father gives His children good gifts, right? But why does Luke refer to the Holy Spirit? Why does Luke say, and this, I, please get this, this is so important. Because the answer here is a, is a beautiful picture of the most amazing gift of all that you and I have been given. This picture of the Spirit of God in our lives. Consider, may, maybe you're going through a struggle in life. How many of you have ever just, maybe, maybe one time ever once had a struggle in your life? <laughs> Just as I suspected, only half. <laughs> so, maybe you're going through a tragedy. Maybe someone that you love is hurting. So you go to God in prayer and you ask Him to comfort you because you're going through a rough time. Right? Do you realize what God does here? He doesn't give you comfort Instead, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And the word for the Holy Spirit is called paraclete. That very word means comforter. So he doesn't just give you the comfort you need. He gives you the comforter. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if that's processing in your brain. So let it sink in for a minute. He doesn't just say, okay, yeah, I'll comfort you. No, no, he goes way beyond that. He says, I'm giving you 
my very presence, the very presence of Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit who will comfort you in all of your needs. It's not just, so he literally comes to dwell in you. He comes to dwell in you and he puts his comforter in you. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's where that joy comes from. Christ inside of you that helps you to walk through the pain. Doesn't mean you won't have pain. But you'll be able to walk through it. Maybe you have some kind of major decision to make in your life. And you have a lot of options to consider. Maybe you're a, you're a young adult trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life. Am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to the military? Am I going to stay home and work? Am I going to get a job? Uh, you got a lot of options. You need guidance. Then you go on the internet to try to get help and, and you're even more confused than you were ever confused before because the internet is the information highway. It's right at the click of your button at a finger. But now you, you have no idea what to do with your stinking life because the world has given you all kinds of options. So what do you do? You pray, God, I need help. I need guidance. And what does he do? He doesn't just give you a couple of steps to guide you. He says, I'm giving you my very presence. The presence of God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit in you to guide you. And now this is challenging because people are, are all the time in life still, well, I'm just so confused. I don't, I don't know. God's not giving me any guidance and I don't know what to do. And I don't know. Read your Bible. Right? Okay, so there's guidance in there because that's your instruction manual. And if you're trying to look on the internet to find help, Unless it's God's word on there, you're not going to get the guidance that you need from the Holy Spirit. So he opens our mind, helps us to understand, and he gives us guidance. He gives us his Holy Spirit. So we pray, Holy Spirit, I need help. I need guidance. Holy Spirit, open the doors that I should walk through and shut the doors that I should not. And know that in your own carnal, fleshly understanding, you're going to make some mistakes. Welcome to life. We all do. But here's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He's able to work all things together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose, according to Romans chapter 8. So as you say, God, I'm wanting to obey you. I'm wanting to follow your footsteps. Holy Spirit, lead me. Guess what he does? He leads you. And it's not like, oh, I just got to be better and I got to deal with this and not doing that. And then, no, when you receive the Holy Spirit, he is in you. He is there to guide you. He is there to direct you. He is there to give you wisdom and comfort as you're abiding in Him. He makes all of these a reality in your life through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. He's your guide. He is the very presence of God living inside of you. When you invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior and your Lord... You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God living inside of you. Enabling you and empowering you to live a life that honors God as you abide in Him. Now here's the problem with people. They, they say a sinner's prayer and then they go off and they do whatever they want to do. And they're not abiding in Christ. And they're wondering why their life is a train wreck. Like half the church is a train wreck. 
Church Big C in America because people are not abiding in Jesus. They're trying to do it on their own power, on their own knowledge, on their own understanding instead of saying, I've just got to abide in Jesus and He'll be the one. So through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from abiding in Christ, we experience Him. In closing, and I, I promised I would be short, so that means before 1130. <laughs> Rely, relying on God is the only way to live a fruitful life. It's the only way. Not relying on yourself. Not relying on your own gifts. Not relying on your own ability. Listen, there are some of you young people in here that are incredibly gifted and have all kinds of wonderful abilities. They have been given to you by God. And as you continue to abide in Him, He will give you the desires of your heart. He will lead and direct your life. His Holy Spirit will be in you and on you and all over you to bless you and to guide you. Parents, this is how you lead your kids. Please listen. It's not by saying, all right, let's just try to figure out you know, some options online. And No, let's get them to connect with the Holy Spirit. Let's get them to abide in Christ and God will bless them. That's, that's maybe more challenging parenting. Easy parenting is putting them in front of a video and saying, oh, you'll figure out life. Sorry, that's another sermon. Um, <laughs> Can we all just read that last line together? We are... You said it. <laughs> See that? It's true. So, please acknowledge that to attempt to accomplish his mission on our own power is to be content with a life of powerless mediocrity. And here's where the church in America, again, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm negative and negative. I don't want you to be a part of an average, ordinary church in America. I want us to be operating in, abiding in Christ, and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Power to say no to sin and yes to God and have a blessed life, a blessed life, a blessed marriage, a blessed home, blessed children, blessed families because we're not, we're not operating in this powerless mediocrity that the world has, has sucked us into by thinking, oh, if I work harder, if I do more of this, then I'll be all of that. No. That's opposite of what the gospel teaches us. By abiding in Him, we live in His power to accomplish His mission and experience His joy in our lives. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Young people, children in the room, stop what you're doing, freeze, put your little goodie bags down and look at the screen. No, put the, put the screen back up there. Good. <laughs> By abiding in Him, we live in His power to accomplish His mission. I believe it's His mission that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life through Jesus Christ. I believe His mission is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have, we have not done that as a church in America, and that's why there's countless millions of people that are heading down a dead-end street, and many of those millions of people are in churches in America today because they're doing it on their own ability. And they're trying to work harder and do more. Instead of saying, no, I've got to die to myself and acknowledge my inability and abide in Christ and say, God, I can't, but I know that you can. So what does abiding in Christ look like? I'm glad you asked that question. That's what we're getting into. 
We're, we're getting into that in this series and we're learning that together. One step at a time, we're breaking that down. But I want you and God wants you to have that deep inner joy that comes only from the Holy Spirit inside of you as you abide in Him. Amen. Uh, Pastor Zach's going to come. He's going to close us in prayer this morning. I want to uh, draw your attention to the... Uh, you might have some logistics to talk about. Listen, um, we got the concert tonight. Let me say this, if I can, before you close. Um, can I? Thank you. <laughs> Listen, we're trying to bring Christian music to this area because it, it, uh, it's an opportunity for you, for you to get people into a church that might not come otherwise. Uh, I'll be honest with you, our ticket sales are low right now. I know there's lots of other things going on. Uh, people are busy. But if we don't get enough people at events like this, we can't afford to do them. And it might not be your particular style or genre of music, but if you come and bring a friend, it enables us and helps us to be able to get the gospel out through music. Um, and so I encourage you to come out tonight. Doors open at 6. Uh, they can still get tickets at the door. Uh, can they buy tickets at the info desk today? Uh, at our uh, helpful kiosk at the Welcome Center, yes, you can do that. Uh, but it would probably be easier for you if you buy them at the door tonight. Okay, might be quicker. Yeah. So we will have them available at the door, but I really want to encourage you to come on out tonight. Like I said, we, we want to be able to do events like this, but um, if we don't get enough, uh, as much as the needed amount of people out, then we can't do events like this. So come on out tonight. It'll be a great night of fun and fellowship. And uh, thank you, Pastor Zach, for closing us in prayer. No problem, man. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that you go before us. And I thank you for your message about abiding in you, God. And I pray that you will help us all to remember, no matter what age we are, that we need to uh, abide in your love. And that's where, that's where you're going to guide us. And that's where your joy is going to come from. So, Lord, we lift up everything that's happening uh, to you this in the next few weeks, Lord, for the concert tonight, that the people that are here will hear your message and that they will, uh, some people may start a relationship with you tonight, Lord, but I pray that uh, your presence will be heavy here in this place. And we also pray for even the Thanksgiving baskets that are coming up, Lord. This is a great way to provide for the community. It's not just something for us to do to say, oh, look at what we can do, but it's something for us to do to say, look at what God did. So, Lord, I pray that you will... Uh, uh, just use every single person here as we reach out to our community in the coming weeks and help them to see who you are. We love you, God, and we praise you. We give all this to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... If you are helping at the concert tonight, if you could st uh, stay in here because we're going to have some logistics for you. Otherwise, everybody else have an amazing week, and we will see you next week.